I really love my family. I, I, I hope that comes out in my sermons. I'm not ashamed to talk about my family and how much I love them. And, uh, you know, this weekend I was thinking about that uh, particularly. Uh, Kristen and I were talking about a few things. And, and part of what it looks like, especially for me, to, to help love my family is to, you know, uh, have an emergency plan for my family. That's, that's part of what it looks like to provide for them, even if, you know, God forbid, you know, for some reason I, I wasn't here, you know, unexpectedly. And so this weekend, I did uh, something incredibly fun, lots of joy, uh, and <laughs> I started, like, making an emergency plan for our family if I'm not here. And I'm not going to lie, like, I started getting really emotional <laughs> while I was doing it. I was upstairs typing away, and then I started, like, even putting in, like, at least some of the basic facts of, like, what would be on an obituary. So then it's like, hey, you don't really have to think about anything. And again, like, I just started thinking about life, and I was like, man, like, First of all, I really want to be here for my family, and I really want to be here for you, Catalyst. But as well, like I started thinking about my life and how I just really want my life to count for something. Like I really don't want to waste my life. And I don't know if you've ever come to that moment, maybe as as you were doing life insurance stuff or coming up with a plan or you just kind of come to this moment of like I really want my life to count for something like college students that's a really common thing like as you're in this stage of trying to figure out like okay what what will my major be what will my classes and like where will that lead to and then you know what? I really want my life to count for something like I don't want to just be another statistic I don't want to be just another number like I really want it to matter or maybe you're here and you know, maybe, maybe you're married or maybe you're, you're in your field and you're like, am I going through this grind and does my life matter? Like, is what I am doing, will that lead to a life that matters? And I think as we weigh through this question, wherever you are in life, perhaps you're in a place that you're right on the cusps of coming up in a few years or maybe you're even now at retirement. And you have this question of like, will the rest of my life really matter? Or could we find our place, whether it's in college or whether it's in the the field now or whether it's on the cusps of or about to retire, of finding ourselves to say, I, you know what, I wasted my life. And here in in James chapter 4, at the very end of James chapter 4, James is going to talk about that. He's going to talk about time. Because if you remember, if you've been with us for the, the, the kind of duration of this series so far, James kind of mentioned, and, and I brought up, in, and I believe it was in James chapter 1, that really the litmus test of how you can know if you're a hearer and doer of the word is you look at your time and your money. You remember we talked about that? If you look at your time and your money, you can really get a, a, a good idea of where your faith lies. Like who actually is your Lord? Who is your King? And here, in this week and next week, it's kind of like a mini-series within the book of James where James is going to talk about those two subjects. He's going to take a microscope and zoom into them. Today, he's going to look at time, and next week, he's going to look at money. And what we'll see in our big idea this this morning is, is really simple, that faith changes how you spend your time. It absolutely changes it, and that if you genuinely have faith, if you have saving faith in Jesus, that it changes everything about how you spend your time, and it even changes your future. And it equals a life that's not a wasted life, not a life that's what we want and what we will, but ultimately it's a life that's what Jesus wills. And so I want us to pray, and we're going to look at this subject of time. It's a subject that all of us spend a lot of time on. 
And in fact, it, there's nothing that you can get out of that doesn't impact your time in some way. And so let's pray now that Jesus would use this time for the next 30, 40 minutes as we look at his word. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that, that we can spend this time right now in your word. I pray that you would empower me. You would redeem this time. You would use a broken, sinful man to proclaim your gospel and that your spirit would move. That those that perhaps have been waiting, whether they've known it or not, but that today would be the day that they would repent and believe. That they wouldn't wait for tomorrow, but that, that they would rather today. Father, for us the saints that are here, that maybe there's areas that we need to repent of, areas that we need to obey, but that we've been putting off. We've not been viewing you, Jesus, as the king of our time. I pray that we would repent and that we would obey King Jesus today. I pray as well as we pray for a missional partner or a missional aim every Sunday. I pray, Father, for seeing you. Father, specifically for the students there, the students in this room and those just down the road. Father, we are convinced that college students are one of the greatest mission fields and mission force for the gospel. The need is so great. Father, so many there on that campus don't know Christ. I pray that these college students here would take this seriously, that they would not waste their time, but they would be on mission, deployed for gospel mission, that we as a church collectively could pursue after them, and that we could see more stories like Beth and others that have gone out on the mission field. Father, would you do that, even with some of the students sitting right here, right now? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're going to jump right in and want to take advantage of the time. Go ahead and turn to James chapter 4, starting in verse 13. Again, James is zooming into this topic of time. He says, come now, which time out. Uh, James, if you've been tracking with us, he has most of the subjects, as he brings them up, he says something like, my brothers, right? He's talking about his brothers and sisters in Christ, and he's coming kind of like in a familial way. He's saying, hey, I know you're struggling with this. I do too. Let me come alongside you. Let me love you like a, maybe like an older brother would and talk to you. And then James, in this passage and in the next passage, again, kind of in this mini-series, he's going to say, come now. And what scholars tell us is it's not like, hey, come on, let's look. He, like he's, he's getting annoyed at this point. He's getting exasperated. He's like, come on, guys, come on. Are we really talking about this? That's where James is at. And he's saying, come on, guys, let's talk about this. He says, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. And maybe you're like, hey, man, I, I, don't, I don't like identify with anything that he's saying but you actually do, right? Like all of us make plans, right? Well, I mean, some of you don't, but if you're like me, who, who here is a planner? Like you plan and you got plans for your plans. You got contingency plans for your contingency plans. Anybody here? Yeah, me too. I'm that way. And then others are like, nothing goes the way, so I never plan. Anybody here? Anybody want to admit that, right? You're like, I don't know. Um, yeah, so, but the truth is all of us on some level, we do plan at least something, right? But especially those planners in the room, you can identify with what James is talking about. Because even if that's not your exact narrative, John Piper in his Look at the Book series, it's really helpful. It kind of breaks this down. The reality is James says that you're going to go. And so it means is that we are presuming, that's really the problem here that James is presenting, by the way, that we are presuming upon God, that we're presuming where we're going to go. Do we actually seem to think that we know where we're going to go? And it's not just that we presume what's going to happen, that we're going to go, but maybe we presume as well that it's going to happen at this specific time. He says today or tomorrow. 
You ever presumed on something? Of, I know exactly what's going to happen. I'm going to go here, and it's going to be on this day. It's maybe it's even going to be at this time. And then it's not just that. It's where you're going to go, your destination. He says, into such and such a town, right? Maybe college students, you're like, hey, I know that it seems like I'm going to graduate on this time. When I graduate, then I'm going to move to this city, and I'm going to get married at this time, and I'm going to have this many kids. Like, maybe you're planning it out in that way. James says all of us do this at some point. We plan things out, that we're going to go here. It's going to happen at this time. We're going to go into this place, and then we're going to spend this amount of time there. He says spend a year or two. And while we're there, we're going we're gonna to do this thing. We're going to make a trade, and we'll even, we even know, we can presume what's going to happen. We'll make a profit. The problem that James is presenting here is not planning. It's presumption. It's that we presume that we know what God is going to do, what's going to happen. But James says that's foolish and that's sinful. First of all, he says it's foolish. Check it out in uh, verse 14. He says, yet, you don't know what tomorrow will bring. And we know that's true, right? Like, if COVID taught us anything, regardless of your opinion on COVID and whatever, like three years ago, almost to the exact day, do you remember? Like, the world totally changed. It was already kind of changing in Europe and others, but especially in America. Then just like everything shut down almost exactly three years ago. That was a blast, wasn't it? And in that time, like, who knew that was going to happen? Anybody? No. Like, we didn't know that was going to happen. Like, any business person in this room, you know, you heard all these things about, we're going to have our 2020 vision, because it was 2020, right? And the whole, like, stupid pun or metaphor with your glasses, right? Well, all their 2020 visions, none of them happened, right? Because something crazy happened. We don't know what's going to happen next. I know I brought it up a few times. I'll stop bringing it up, I promise. But, like, a month and a half ago, as we were doing our Make Room campaign, which, thank the Lord, like, God has brought some growth. We've gotten more people plugged into groups and serving. That's a great thing. But on that Sunday, like, I told Kristen, our family was starting to get sick, and I was like, I'm going to be there no matter what. Even if I have to, like, stay away from people and whatever, I'm going to be there until Friday morning when I had a freak accident and I fell and I broke my dang nose. Like, I didn't know that was going to happen. And you don't either. Like, there have been so many things, good and bad, that you don't know that's going to happen. Like, when I met Kristen, I had no clue that I was now meeting my spouse when I was in college. I just knew I was talking to a pretty girl about the most romantic topic, band, right? That's what I knew. And then we just happened to get married, right? Like, I had no clue. And there's so many things in your life. I mean, just think about it. Like, some of the biggest things, the biggest movements in your life, is it because you planned it out? Or did God just make it happen? Like, we don't know what's going to happen next. And if we try to plan the future in that sense, if we presume upon the future, James tells us it's foolish because, he says, what is your life? For you're a mist that appears for a little time, and then it vanishes. It wasn't quite cold enough today, but you've been in cold weather. When you go outside, and what happens? You, right, you blow out, and you see this mist, kind of, right? Like, you see your breath. You've seen that before. But the thing is, like, it's gone as soon as you see it. And, and if you try to grab it, if anything, it's going to go away quicker. James here, he's kind of hyperlinking back to the book of Ecclesiastes, where it talks about this mist or this vapor. It shows up in, in that 12-chapter book. It shows up almost 40 times. It's almost three times every single chapter. It's time and time and time again that it's this. Oftentimes, it's, it's translated as meaningless, which is not really a good translation. It's more that it's confusing. It's, it's, it's disorienting. We don't get it. And it's because life is just so short, and things just never seem to go the way that we think they should. And James says that's exactly how life is like. 
Like it's short. You can't plan it. So why would you presume upon it? He says it's foolish if you do that. But it's not just foolish, he says. It's also sinful. Uh, skip a verse. Go to verse 16. We'll come back to 15 in a second. But he says this. It's not just foolish, but verse 16. He says, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. You, you are prideful that when we presume upon our future, he says we're being prideful. He says all such boasting, all such arrogance, all such pride, it's what? It's evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, it's not just evil. No, it's sin. James tells us that when we presume upon the future, that it's sin, that it's arrogant, it's boastful. And why is that? It's because we're saying, God, I know what's best. I know what's going to happen. You know what? It's, it's not your will be done. It's my will be done. It's what I want. It's what I will. And you know what? In the future, I'm going to go here. In the future, I'm going to go to this place. And I'm going to be there that long. And I'm going to do this thing. And this is what's going to happen. Again, he's not talking about planning. He's talking about making plans with presumption. I mean, in fact, if you look at the Old Testament, especially in the book of Proverbs, there's proverb after proverb about the wisdom in planning. That's not what he's talking about. If you're like, hey, I don't want to plan because who knows what's going to happen in the future. The Bible would say you're lazy and you're being a poor steward of time. That's not what James is talking about. In fact, if anything, he's talking about you should make plans. You should be a good steward of your time. But we can't presume upon it. Because when we do, it's not just some like, oh, I shouldn't do that. Like, that's a bad thing, right? No, like, he says it's evil. It's sinful. It separates us from God. It's the reason Jesus went on the cross. It's because we presume upon our time. We presume that we are the Lord of our time. And not Jesus. But then he contrasts that in verse 15. He says, yes, when we presume upon our time, it's foolish and it's sinful. It's what separates us from God. It's the reason Jesus went on the cross. But there's another way. There's this way that actually you should say, that you should do. Check it out. Go back down to verse 15. He says, instead, you shouldn't be foolish or sinful about presuming upon your time, but instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. He says, you shouldn't just presume upon your time and say, I'm going to live this way and I'm going to do this way. No, instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, then I'll do this, I'll live this way. Now, first of all, what James is not saying is uh, what a, a lot of Christians do. You know, a lot of Christians, you've been around them, maybe you're guilty, I, I've been guilty of this. Someone will ask you, like, hey, do you want to come over? And you're like, let me pray about it, right? Like, let me pray about it. Or you might even say, if the Lord wills, then I'll come. Or, you know what, I, I really need some help, right? I need some help. I, I got I to gotta, uh, clean out the gutters, right? I got to do that soon. Like, I really need some help. And you're like, you know what, if the Lord wills, I will help you. This is like the Christian way. You seen those Snickers commercials where, like, someone asks them a crazy question so they eat a Snickers so they can have some time because the Snickers are so chewy, and they're like, let me think about this, right? That's the Christian answer to this. That's not what James is getting at, right? And he's also not getting at where you just turn into this person that takes James hyper-literally. Do you just say, if the Lord wills, anytime you make a plan, right? Like, if you were to ask me, Daniel, what are you going to be up to after, after the service? And you say, well, you know what? Uh, if the Lord wills, I'm going to go to starting point. And if he wills, then I'm going to teach that class. After that, I, I'm going to work a little bit if the Lord wills. And I'm going to go home. If the Lord wills, I'm going to take a nap. Like, that would be a little ridiculous, right? That's not James's point. But don't confuse him either. He does say, like, this is something that at times we should say. This is a helpful thing because it's a mindset 
and it's a posture of our heart. That's really where our faith lies, is what is your mindset? What is the posture of your heart? And sometimes we do need even those verbal cues that we'll hear from others and that we'll say ourselves. But what is your mindset? What is the posture of your heart? Is it if the Lord wills? Is it if Jesus wills? Is is it if the King of kings, the Lord of lords, if King Jesus wills? Or is it if I want, if I will? It really goes back to the Sermon on the Mount with Matthew chapter 6 and the, the Lord's Prayer, this template prayer that Jesus gives us of your kingdom come. Is that your prayer? Or is it ultimately my kingdom come? That's really the issue that James is raising here. That the problem is presumption, which is pride. But if we have genuine saving faith, then we're about what the Lord wills. And not what we will. Not what we want with our time. And the thing is, this this question then comes into play. Well, then what does the Lord will? Like, how do I live? How do, what do I do? Like, what does that actually mean to be following the Lord's will? Well, there's really two things that we see in theology. That there's what's often called the revealed will of God. The revealed will of God. That's what we see very clearly in Scripture. And then what some theologians would call a secret will of God. We'll get to that in a moment. That's more like, so where should I go to school? What should I do when I graduate? It's these more specific things that obviously don't show up explicitly in Scripture. right? But with the revealed will of God, those things are actually revealed. They're, they're really clear in Scripture. As we study the Word, we'll see them. Sometimes it even quite literally says, the will of God is X. And so what is it? What is it that that Jesus wants us to do? What is it that he calls us to obey him in? Well, some of those things are first that we would be saved. That's God's will. God's will is not that anyone would perish, 2 Peter says. And so for, for some of you today, that means that the will of God is to actually realize that you have presumed upon your time, but that Jesus, he ultimately died on the cross in your place. And that because of his sacrifice, he paid your sin debt back to God the Father in full. And that three days later, he walked out of the grave, making it possible for you, for anyone, to repent and believe the gospel. That you would be saved, that you would be forgiven, yes, but that he would change how you view time, how you spend your time. That it would now not be about what I will, but now you would think, what does the Lord will? What does King Jesus will for me? And then obey him in living it out. But as well, what are some of those other things that we see in Scripture where it says very clearly, this is the will of the Lord or where he commands us to do things? Well, things like forgiving others. Things like that we would actively reconcile against, with, with other people. That we would make disciples. The list goes on and on of all these commands that we see in Scripture of what is the will of God. It's the revealed will in Scripture. Which, friends, is one of the reasons that we need to actively that we need to be studying Scripture so we can see what is the revealed will of God. If this is what it looks like to actually live in light of the will of God, well, how can you live it if you don't know it? But he tells us in verse 15, go back and look at that. He says, if the Lord wills, then we will live and do this or that. So he tells us that that we will, yes, continue to live our lives, but we do it in light of what he's already taught us about time. What did he tell us about time in verse 14? Do you remember? He said that time is fleeting. It's like this mist. It's like this vapor. Like it's, You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You don't know if you are promised tomorrow. 
But so many of us, and so many times, I live my life presuming that I do have tomorrow. Now, statistically, sure. Most likely, sure. But the reality is, I don't know. And neither do you. And so what is it today that you're planning to do tomorrow but that you need to be obedient for today? There's something that that God is making very clear to you. Maybe it's for someone here today that you've never repented and believed the gospel. You've never turned from your sin and trusted in Christ. Why not today? Maybe for some of you, you're, you're here in Christ, but you're presuming upon your time as if there's more time to call that person and forgive them. Yeah, I know Jesus says I need to forgive people, but there's more time to do that. I know Jesus calls me to reconcile and to pursue after people proactively, but I'll do that another day. I know Jesus calls us to make disciples, which begins by actually evangelizing people. It it begins by just as simple as inviting someone to Easter. But you know what? I'll do that tomorrow. You know what? I I know God calls us to be part of a local body, to join a church, to maybe take that step and starting point or whatever way to get connected in a church. But you know what? I'll do that tomorrow. Maybe it's killing a sin. I don't know what it is for you. But friends, planned obedience just putting it off in the future is just disobedience today. Planned obedience, just putting it off for the future is just disobedience today. Presuming upon our time when the question is, am I being faithful to Jesus right now? Yes, Lord willing that you would be tomorrow and the next day and the next day But am I being faithful to Jesus now? Is Jesus actually the king of your time or not? Who is it? Now again, what what James is not saying is that you can't ever rest. That's a command in Scripture too. You can't ever have a good time. It, It doesn't mean those things at all. But friends, is Jesus the king of your time or not? And so that's where we see this revealed will of God. But there are these questions too. Again, kind of getting back to that original question that I posed of how are you spending your time and how can you know, really, am I wasting my time? What does it look like to actually live in light of what King Jesus says about my time? And sometimes that gets into some particulars that don't explicitly show up in the Scripture. For example, like, again, what should my major be? Should I be at CNU or not? When I do graduate, what should I do with that? Maybe you've already graduated, but what field exactly should I go into? Is this my career, or maybe is it something else? Should I uh, uh, be friends with this person or not? Should I get married with this person? What, what should retirement look like? Should I get retired or not? Where should I move? All these good and valid questions that don't explicitly show up in Scripture. Like, you can't just open up the Bible and, okay, there it is. That's the answer, right? Like, that's not how we determine the will of God. You don't just go to chat GPT and say, hey, what should I do? I mean, you could do that, but there's no telling what you're going to see there. So how do we actually know? Like, wh- what does it look like to determine the will of God? 
Well, you, you can see it on the screen, but there, there's a book by a pastor named, uh, um, uh, sorry, Kevin DeYoung. And Kevin DeYoung, it, he writes really good uh, practical uh, uh, books. It says Devin DeYoung, by the way. I guess I, I got really excited with the D's there. Uh, but it's Kevin DeYoung. Anyway, Kevin DeYoung wrote a book called Just Do Something. It's incredibly short, incredibly practical. I'd encourage you to read it, especially if you're really trying to wrestle through one of these big type, type of questions right now. But in this, he kind of has this list of how do you actually determine this, what some theologians would call a secret will of God, what's not explicitly revealed in Scripture. And he walks through these four very easy steps. And the first is that you would pray. That you would pray. And not just that you pray once, but that you pray persistently. You keep on praying. You, it, the New Testament even almost describes prayer that we should go and nag God, that keep asking Him, keep praying, that you would pray. Secondly, that you would study Scripture. We know that, because we just talked about it, that the revealed will of God is in Scripture. So look there. What is explicitly there, and what's there in principle? Let me give you just one example. Maybe it's because you're a service member, or you're a college student, or maybe you're just someone that doesn't fit into that, but at some point, you feel like you're going to move. So how do you determine where you should move? Oftentimes, what's the first thing that people think about? Well, if, if they're married and maybe have kids, they might think about, like, where could I get the most money? Or where would I like my job? Or what kind of school system does it have? That's a pretty common thing. All those are good and valid things to think through. But what would Scripture actually say is one of, if not the first thing that you should think through? We're commanded to be part of biblical community, to be part of a local body. And so many times, as a pastor, I've seen this, that people will call me after the fact and say, Daniel, I... We've moved, and you know, I like my job, and my kids have a good school, but we just can't find a good church. Why did they not beforehand ask this question? Friends, it's because they skipped this step. They didn't look through Scripture. Of what does it tell us of how we should live our lives? So you study Scripture, looking explicitly and implicitly. What are the principles that are there? Then thirdly, you go to wise counsel. Wise counsel doesn't just mean Googling something. Googling actually can take you in a lot, a lot of wrong directions. You know that. Well, but oftentimes, what that looks like is you're talking with others in your community group. That's why we need to be in community groups. That's why we need to be in community so we can actually have people to go to wise counsel for. It's other believers. It's going to your pastors. That doesn't mean that you need my permission to go move somewhere or to make the decision to buy a car or change your major, but maybe you could Ask for wise counsel from other people. When was the last time that, that you actually did that? And, and I know a lot of times it feels kind of awkward because like people don't typically ask people those types of questions. They just kind of announce, hey, we've made this decision. We're going to have a child. We're going to move. I changed my major. I'm going to buy a car. We're going to make these big decisions. But oftentimes when we do that, we're just really presuming on our knowledge and what we know about the future. But maybe we need someone older from a different perspective that that God, through His Spirit, is going to speak through us. That's why the local church is such a gift. So we pray, we study Scripture, we ask for wise counsel, we do all these things together, and then fourthly, Kevin DeYoung, or I guess Devin DeYoung, he says, just do something. He says that God is going to really whittle this down, He's going to show you this, this kind of way of wisdom. These, sometimes it'll be one option, sometimes it'll just be a few options, but then he says, just do something. Just actually make a decision. Because God has given you that wisdom to move forward. Just pick what you want within that wisdom. Friends, that's how we do that. But then the question comes into play, but what does this look like for us as a church? 
Like as we as a church actually go through these four steps of pray, of study scripture, uh, of getting wise counsel and then just doing something. What does it actually look like for us as a church? And we as your elders, we've been praying through this. and We, we, we presented this to our members uh, in, in December and we'll, we'll be even be talking about this members next week a little more of what are the next steps towards this vision. But friends, we as a church, we believe that God has made it actually very clear what we as a church are to be. That this vision really of 2023 should be this. That we're building a church that disciples and deploys its members for gospel mission in Newport News and to the nations. It'll be on the screen. There's a lot of different parts to that, but I want to help break that down some. That we as a church, that we believe first that God has called us to actually disciple its members. That we would, would consider the church those that have genuinely covenanted with us. So if you're here as a regular attender, a guest, we are so glad that you're here. Continue to lean in. Continue to get connected. But God has called us as, as pastors to ultimately shepherd those that have covenanted with us. If you have more questions about really what is covenant membership, come talk with me or, or come to Starting Point but that we would actually disciple our members, that we would take that seriously because of what we believe about the Great Commission, that Jesus has told us to make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to teach them to observe everything that he's commanded us, that we want to take that seriously. But then secondly, that we wouldn't just train our people up, that we wouldn't just uh, grow ourselves up and, and, and stay in this holy huddle, but that we would then be deployed for gospel mission, that this would be in the small and in the big, that this would be in Newport News and to the nations, that we would be deploying our members out, deploying them out to to gospel mission even within our church. Maybe that's to serve in greater ways. Maybe that's serving in different roles. Maybe it's serving in community group leaders. Maybe it's discipling and developing people into future elders. But as well, it's sending people out to to you, to college students, to your dorm mate, to, to, to deploy you out to be on mission for your neighbors to deploy you out to be on mission for those that are around you, your family members, for those that are in your home. But it doesn't just mean in those ways around us, but it also means that we would deploy them out to gospel mission to the nations. Because the reality is that our world is tremendously lost. Like stats tell us that there's uh, somewhere between 7, 8 billion people in the world. And that almost half, 42%, 3.37, I believe is the, is the number, billion people, 3.37 billion people are what's considered an unreached people group. You know what an unreached people group is? An unreached people group is someone that has little to zero access to the gospel. And almost 42% of the world right now is exactly there. That they do not know another Christian. So they really have almost no chance to hear the gospel unless you or I go. Take America. Stats would tell us in 2020, so I think they're a little lower now, but we'll take that 2020 stat because that's what we have, that one in four Christians are practicing Christians. One in four people that claim to be a Christian, that would self-ascribe themselves as a Christian, are actually practicing as Christians. And we've gone through the book of James long enough What would James call a practicing Christian? He would just say they're a Christian. And so let's just take that stat. There'd be some people that are outside of that, that are believers, they're just in a a state that they need to repent. There'd be some people in that that maybe aren't Christians. But let's take that one in four stat. You know what that means in our country? That there's 249 million people that don't know Jesus. 
that even within our city, 180,000 people, that 135,000 don't know Jesus. They're people that live in your dorm. They're people that are in your classroom. They're people maybe on the pew next to you. They're people that are your neighbor. They're the people that go to the gas station with you, that shop at the same store with you, that work with you, that share a cubicle with you. And college students, there's just short of 4,000 students. They do not know Jesus all around you. And, and to speak directly to college students for a moment, as I said in my prayer, we really believe and are convicted as a church that college students are one of the main mission fields and mission forces for the gospel. Because stats are really clear. Like not only is it probably at least 4,000 that, that don't know Jesus, but it's actually probably higher. Because Gen Z is one of the least Christian uh, generations of all the generations that we've ever tracked. And not only that, but then in, in the midst of that, they do have this wonderful turn that they are one of the most spiritual, one of the most interested in learning about Jesus of any generation in the past. And so what that means is, yes, there is this mission field. There is this genuine need to see your generation come to Christ. But there is an opportunity to be able to share the gospel that we as a church, this is not just for those that live on the campus, that we as a church, we're just right over here. Why do you think we just signed the lease here? Because it's just right over there and nobody else is here. That's why. And friends, because we want to redeem the time. We don't want to put it off for someone else. We don't want to put it off for tomorrow. We want to pursue after. But friends, they're not just a mission field. They're a mission force for the gospel. Think about one of our own, Beth, who's sent out She's in Southeast Asia right now, and she was sitting in these exact seats that you are. That she answered the call to go. She's in Southeast Asia ministering to college students right now. College students, why can't that be you? Why does it end just with her? Friends, there is such a tremendous need in our world, in our nation, and just in our city. But we can't be a people that just presume upon our time. Because Jesus has called us not to be foolish or sinful with our time, but to allow Jesus to dictate our time. Is Jesus or are you the king of your time? Friends, let's be a church that Jesus, he tells us how to spend our time. That we are a mission for King Jesus and that we obey today and then tomorrow and then tomorrow as we disciple and deploy our people for mission. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that even though we are sinful people who do presume upon our time, I do this all the time, Father, that you are so gracious. You give me grace. You give me forgiveness through Jesus on the cross. Father, I confess that I do. I presume upon this. And I thank you for your grace. I pray for us today that we would not just merely plan our obedience but we would be obedient today father through your spirit would you bring conviction to us of what is it that you are calling us to today perhaps for someone in this room it is to repent and believe for the first time that they would come to know jesus in saving faith 
Father, perhaps for someone else, it's to repent of sin that they have allowed to creep back into their lives, to kill that sin. Father, perhaps it's to call someone right after the service to forgive them, to call someone and, and, and reconcile with them. Father, perhaps it's to actually take this call of who's your one for Easter seriously. Father, perhaps it's taking that step of getting connected into a local church as we're commanded. Father, all of us are at different places and your spirit is speaking to all of us. I pray that right now we would be sensitive to that. And that Father, King Jesus, would dictate our time of how we live and what we do and not us. In Jesus' name. Amen.